It's funny how things change over time. I read my Bible these days mostly from this. I go to Bible Gateway, one of my favorite apps, and I'm able to look at the New International Version translation or the New Living Translation, which is actually my favorite. I can put them side by side and compare them. I do most of my Bible work here. I do some of it on my laptop, which makes comparison even easier. But when I was a child, I did it with a Bible, a written Bible. I'll never forget the first one I ever had. I was six years old. My grandmother gave it to me, and she set me down and showed me some things about my new Bible. One of the things she said to me was important. She said, Danny, this blue Bible is here because I know that's your color, your favorite color, and because I want you to remember it's from me. But I want to show you, and she took me over to the Gospels and pointed out that the words of Jesus were printed in red. She looked at me and said, as only she could, Danny, you need to remember, pay closest attention to the words of Jesus. They matter most. My name is Dan Sutherland. I am one of the pastors at Restore. Welcome to Restore Online. So glad you are here today. We're in week four of a series called Red Letter Life. We are literally doing what my grandmother told me to do 60 years ago. We're paying attention to the words of Jesus because we believe they matter most. In week one, we looked at what Jesus had to say about unity. In week two, about humility. In week three, forgiveness. This is week four. And we're going to talk today about what Jesus has to say about service. Here's the big idea behind this series. Why would we spend six weeks looking specifically at the words of Jesus? Because we believe that our lives are better when we live what Jesus says. That's the big idea for the series. My life is better when I live what Jesus says, when I pay attention to what Jesus instructs us to do, when I obey what he teaches. And here's the big idea for today as we look at what Jesus has to say about serving. Jesus' words call us to a life of service. It is impossible to read Jesus and not get that service is the big idea of his life. In fact, he often said of himself, I did not come to be served, I came to serve. His favorite way of referring to himself was he called himself the servant of man or the son of man, the one who comes to serve us all. Our truth source is the scripture, whether it's here or on our laptop or in the Bible that is in our hand. I want us to look together today at what Jesus had to say about service in Luke 10 in a well-known passage that has got more depth to it than we often discover. It's called the Good Samaritan. Let's read it together. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, here's the red letter words. What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, 
and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. Now listen closely. But the man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now let's pause right there for a minute. This man is asking Jesus to narrow it down. He's saying, Jesus, I get I'm supposed to love God first and foremost. And secondly, I'm supposed to love my neighbors. I love myself. But, but who's my neighbor really? I'm kind of looking for a minimalist answer, Jesus. Could you, could you narrow this down a little bit? Who do I have to include as my neighbor? Who do I have to love? That's the spirit behind this question. And Jesus blows his mind by how he defines what it means to be a neighbor. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant, some translations say, a temple attender, walked over and looked at him lying there. But he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. Let me pause. Samaritans are considered to be half Jews, but half breed. They have interbred and intermarried with peoples from other nations. They live in the land that's just north of Judea on the wrong side of the tracks. And the Jews look down their nose at the Samaritans and will have nothing to do with them. So the Jewish priest passes by. The Jewish church attender passes by. But this man who's hated by the Jews, stops. When he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged him. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these, Jesus asks, would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Jesus is taking our concept of who do we love as our neighbor, who do we serve as our neighbor, and expanding it beyond belief. There's so much here in these verses. Let's pray together as we jump in and dig it out. Father, speak to us today. By your Spirit, give us truth that we can apply to our lives. We want to know what your Son Jesus says about serving. We want to be stretched we want to be challenged. We want to be like you. Teach us in these moments is our prayer in Christ. Amen. I want to talk to you about the mindset of a servant today because in this passage I see four things that as servants, as somebody who wants to serve, as somebody who wants to love those around them, we have to do. First, you have to expect interruptions. You have to expect 
interruptions. All three of the men who had a chance to help out this beaten man that has been robbed and is left for half dead, they all had plans that day. The priest had plans. He's so busy, in fact, he cannot be interrupted. He crosses to the other side of the road and continues going. The church attender must have had plans. Maybe he was on his way to church. Maybe he was going his way to hang out with his church buddies or to be part of some church activity. We don't know. We do know that he won't be interrupted. He can't be. He doesn't allow himself to be interrupted. He crosses the other side of the road and keeps going. And the Samaritan man would have had plans too. If he's in this part of the world, he's probably there on business. Interesting that he knows the innkeeper and tells the innkeeper, I'll be back and pay you on my next trip. So business is a pretty good assumption. And it looks as if he's on his way home. We're all in a hurry when we get a chance to get home. But he chooses to be interrupted. He chooses to stop. He chooses to help. Here's the reality. The opportunity to serve others often comes, in fact, almost always comes at inconvenient times. When I get a chance to serve somebody, it's rarely I'm going, you know what? I'm sitting around, don't have anything going on. Sure, I'll help out. I don't remember many of those sitting around, don't have anything going on moments in my 66 years of living. It's an interruption, and it's one of the reasons that we tend to just go to the other side of the road and keep going. It's like, I would help, but I'm busy. I would help, but I have another commitment. I would help, but I have things to do, places to go, people to see. In fact, of these three people, the Samaritan is the one that I would least expect to stop and to help. I mean, the priest, isn't it kind of his job to help people? His job would have said stop and help, but his busyness said don't have time. Or the church attender, wouldn't his theology have said stop and help this person? But he doesn't. The Samaritan, on the other hand, has hundreds of years of heritage and history that says the Jews hate us. They don't want us in their country. They don't like it when we're here. Just get your stuff done and go back home. He's the one that had an excuse and a reason not to help, but he stops. Here's the point. Serving others will interrupt your life. It's going to interrupt your life. Expect interruption. Secondly, servants, people with a serving mindset, need to expect sacrifice. We need to expect sacrifice. Serving others comes with a price tag. Serving others will always cost you something. In fact, think with me for a minute. What did it cost the Samaritan to help this guy who was robbed and beaten and left on the side of the road? Well, it certainly cost him his time at least two days because it tells us that he took the time to help the man that day and stayed with him on that second day there at the end. It, taught, it cost him his cleanliness. I don't know if you've ever helped somebody that's been in an accident and that's bleeding, but it's an all-in kind of moment. I remember one time rushing into a traffic accident, and, and we had a, a, a teenage girl that was pinned in her pickup truck 
the car that she had gotten into, into the accident with was beginning to catch fire. We don't have time. We're hurrying. We're getting her out. She's bleeding. I'm not even noticing till I'm done. And there's blood all over me. It'll cost you your cleanliness. It'll, it'll cost you your, your tidiness, your neatness. It costs this guy his ride, his donkey. He puts this, the guy that's beat up and wounded on his donkey and the Samaritan walks and takes the wounded man to town. It cost him his money. Two silver coins. Hard to know exactly what that is, but the clearest, most sure interpretation is that's about two weeks worth of wages. He paid the innkeeper long enough for the guy to stay weeks if he needed to. It cost him money, and it cost him his agenda. Whatever he had planned that day, he forfeited in order to be able to serve. One of my favorite Old Testament stories is in 2 Samuel chapter 24. King David is on the outs with God. You know, sometimes we're close with God and sometimes we're on the outs and, and sometimes we're working our way back to, to being right with God. And that's kind of the mode David is in. And he decides, you know what? I've been away from a stretch, away from God. I, I need to worship. I'm going to build an altar right here, right here in this place. And he happens to be in the middle of a farmer's field. And he goes to the farmer and says, I'm going to buy your field. Uh, I'm going to buy some materials. I'm going to build an altar. I want to buy some of your animals to sacrifice. I need to worship God right here, right now. And the farmer says, oh, King David, I'm so honored that you want to, you want to stop and worship God in my field. I'll give you the land. I'll give you the materials. I'll give you the animals. And David says, no, sir. I must buy it. Here's the exact quote. I will not offer an offering to the Lord my God that has cost me nothing. Whoa. If there's no sacrifice, there's no value. That's the way it works. In fact, sacrifice, here's the definition, means giving up something of value for something or someone that you value more. I'll give up my time that I value because I value this more. I'll give up the money that I value because I value this more. Serving is going to cost you sacrifice. If you're going to serve others, expect interruptions, expect sacrifice. Number three, expect judgment. Whoa. Sometimes we don't think about this one, but it's there. It's very, very much there. When you invest your time and energy in helping someone, in serving someone, somebody, somewhere is going to judge you for it. There'll be somebody saying, maybe to your face, maybe behind your back, you're wasting your time on this guy? You're throwing away your money on this? You're wasting your energy and your effort on this cause, on this thing? Have you lost your mind? That's the implication. Sometimes it's said out loud. I mean, there is some behind-the-scenes judging going on in this story. The thieves that robbed the man judged that them having his stuff was more important than him having his stuff. That's why they robbed him. The priest judged the man. He decided that the guy wasn't worth helping. It just kept going. The church attender judged the man. He didn't have time either. 
And they all would have judged the Samaritan because he decided that this guy was worth helping. Don't miss where this story started. That's why we read the passage earlier. Somebody came to Jesus and said, what's the greatest and most important command? And Jesus said, you know the law, give it back to me. And they go back and forth on this fact that God is first, love him first, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then he tells this Good Samaritan story because the question asker said, who's my neighbor? Jesus is telling this story to stretch our concept of who our neighbor is. Who are we committed to love? Who have we committed to serve? Who do we need to take care of? Now, the word neighbor is an interesting word. You know me, etymology, study of the history of words. It's a big thing to Dan Sutherland. Neighbor actually comes, our English word, from two German words that were put together and worked their way into our English language. Neighbor literally came from two words which meant nearby. Nearby. Your neighbor was your nearby. The way we use it most of the time, it's somebody who lives nearby you. Your neighbor at work could be somebody who works at the workstation nearby you. Or your neighbor on the airplane? Well, that's easy. That's the people you're squeezed up next to in those wonderfully spacious uh, economy seats. We think a neighbor as the people in life that we are close to. Jesus says, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no. Think bigger. Think deeper. Which of these guys was a neighbor to the beaten man? Was it the priest? No. Was it the church attender? Uh-uh. It was the one who didn't know him, didn't live nearby him, but stopped and gave him his time and his attention and his help and his money and his ride. He opened up his life to serve this guy. My neighbor, Jesus is saying, is anybody in my path that I have the means to help? That's my neighbor. Jesus is going to ask you to serve someone that he drops in your path. Are you ready for this? That doesn't make sense. You're going to be going, really? Really? Do I have time for this? Is this, is this something that's important? Is this something I'm supposed to do? And when you decide to help them, somebody is going to judge you for it. Expect interruption. Expect sacrifice. Expect judgment. Fourthly, lastly, expect to choose. In fact, you got to expect to make some hard choices, to make some difficult choices about who you serve and how you serve them. All three people in this passage had a chance to serve the man that was beaten and robbed. One of them chose to. The priest did not he did not choose to care for the man. He chose to care for himself. The church attender did not. He did not choose to care for the man. He chose to care for himself. Only the Samaritan, the half-Jew, the unwelcomed foreigner stops and shows care and loves his neighbor. It's a great verse in Joshua 24, 15. The historical setting always matters when you read Scripture 
In this moment, Joshua has just led the people of Israel out of captivity in Egypt. They've been 40 years in the wilderness. Now they're moving into their new homeland where present day Israel is today. They've just spread out and taken the land and they have succeeded. God has favored them. And in that moment, Joshua says these words to the people. If you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Let me stop right there. Did you catch it? Everybody serves something. Everybody serves someone. Joshua's saying if you're not going to choose to serve God, you are going to serve. So what choice are you going to make? Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served before the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Let me break it down quickly. He says, everyone serves someone. You got three basic choices. You can serve the gods of your past. You can serve the gods of your present, that culture defines for you. Or you can serve the God of eternity. Or you can value what God says we should value. We all choose. Some of us choose incidentally. Some of us choose accidentally. Some of us choose on purpose, but we all choose. One last verse from Jesus. Because he calls us to a sacrificial non-returned, radical, selfless kind of service. This Samaritan gave up two days of his life to serve a total stranger. Gave up two weeks of his salary to serve a total stranger. Gave up his time and effort and focus to serve someone he didn't even know. He did it because he did know God. So in summary, if we're going to serve others, expect interruptions. If we're going to serve others, expect sacrifice. It will cost us something. If we're going to serve others, expect judgment. There are going to be people going, why are you wasting your time on that? Wasting your time on them. They're not worth it. And if we're going to serve others, we've got to expect choices. Because here is the thing. The needs of people around us can be overwhelming. Do you ever find yourself looking at the condition of our world going, God, where do I even start? Who do I help? What cause do I get involved with? What group of people can I serve? You know, what, what are you calling me to do, God? Because I cannot do it all. And because we absolutely get overwhelmed by the cries for compassion, we can sometimes become calloused to those same cries. It's a self-defense mechanism. We simply quit listening because it's overwhelming. Here's the important truth. Christ followers are not called to be passionate about every opportunity to serve. You don't have time, energy, money, or life, or breath to take every opportunity there is to serve. But Christ's followers are called to be passionate about serving someone.
someone. Who are we going to serve? You cannot serve everyone and keep your sanity. But you cannot keep your identity in Christ if you're not serving someone. God calls us to serve.